Hey, y'all, and welcome back to the Rabbit Hole Show. This week, we have a very special guest, someone I've known since middle school. Um, and now we are uh, go to the same church and um, Allie Dyer. So welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm yes. happy to be here. Yes, I'm glad yeah. to have you. Um, as I always say, we all have a story. We all have struggles. And the good news is we're not alone. Um so our stories are different, but there's also some that intertwine. Um, and we met Wednesday or Thursday of this of last week mm-hmm. um, for three hours, just <laughs> just talking, Casual. catching up, um, sharing my story in depth, your story in depth. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause everyone's got a story and there's listeners who can uh, resonate with your story or have known someone that are going through um, what you've been through and going through. Um, so it's an honor to have you ran into you last week, two weeks ago when this comes out at Larbeth and her friends or her roommates Christmas party the, mm. of all places. Quick turnaround for us. Yes. Very like a little quick. over a week. Yes. Um, yeah. A week and two days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just want to have you come on, share your story and then just, just talk. Yeah. Um, thanks so for having gonna, me. Yeah. So I'm going to just let you share your story and then we can just you know, have a conversation, yeah. but allow you to share your story and kind of your struggles over the last few years. Great. Thanks. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I, um, bumped into Chad last week and just kind of, uh, I guess we're catching up a little bit and, um, it's been a wild ride, um, the last couple of years. Um, so I'll just, yeah, kind of, um, take us back. But I, um, yeah, grew up here in Charlotte. Um, you know, had been working, moved, went away for school, um, in Tennessee and had come back and was working here in Charlotte for the last, um, about 10 years. And, um, two years ago in the middle of pandemic, um, started having some symptoms of what I thought was, um, some kind of like allergic reaction or maybe like a cold. I wasn't really sure. Um, I guess I started having symptoms around August. Um, I remember I was at the beach with my family and my like shoulder was really bothering me. And, um, I was coughing a lot, like in the mornings when I woke up and I noticed that my face was like just a little bit puffy. And I just thought, have I like eaten a lot of salt or something? Like, I don't, you know, what just trying to like (laughs) spitball, figure out what's going on. I remember thinking like, it looks like I've gained weight in my face, but I haven't gained weight. So like, there's something clearly like I've eaten or something that's going on. So I went home and I was like, okay, I'm going to start like walking every day and like walking really far and changing my diet and trying to make sure there's nothing else kind of going on and started seeing my doctor, my primary care doctor. And you know, kind of started letting her in on what was going on. And she was started helping me kind of investigate. And we looked into like allergens in my house. Um, you know, did I have mold? Did I have like an allergy to my dog that I didn't know of? And kind of started down this road, um, ended up going on a round of like steroids to kind of help some of the inflammation I was experiencing. But every time I came off the steroids and I tapered down, um, the swelling in my face and my neck specifically just came right back. And you know, when you're like, uh, maybe you've like had some kind of like allergic reaction to something like either swelling in your face or somewhere in your body and you just don't look like you. And Mm -hmm. I remember waking up for like two months solid and being like, I just don't look like myself and there's something going on. Um, and my 
wonderful roommate at the time, um, Hollister Dibble, who um, was a nurse, was kind of helping me like navigate, like, you know, asking the right questions of my doctor, kind of pursuing the right things. Um, ended up waking up one morning in out in Colorado, visiting some friends and had adjusted to the altitude and woke up and the swelling was terrible. And I like couldn't breathe. And mm. I remember being like, okay, this is not, this is not just an allergic reaction. Something's happening in my body. It's and that been was several months. Yeah. This was at this point, this was, uh, almost, almost my diagnosis month. So I got diagnosed at the end of October and this was like late, late September. And it started August mm-hmm. beginning kind of. Yeah. So this was like almost two, two full months in, um, and I remember I called my doctor. She called me in some prescriptions for me to pick up, um, in out Denver. the pharmacy mm-hmm. because that was so bad. I was yeah. like, I can't wait. I like can hardly breathe. So she called me in steroids. And I remember while I was waiting for them, I called my mom and my sister, like both kind of on the phone together. Um, and was like, you know, this is what's happening. I don't, I really don't feel good. I think something's wrong. And both of them were like, okay, let's not go to like worst case scenario yet. Like, let's get you home. Mm-hmm. Everything seems worse when you're away from home, you know? And so, um, I, but that was kind of the day I was like, I, I think this could be cancer. Um, and so I went home and we started doing some more, some more tests. We did some blood work nothing came back in any of my blood work. Everything was perfect. I had no elevated levels of anything. And finally, after just not being able to figure it out, my doctor very wisely was like, I'm going to refer you to an ENT because something is clearly happening like in your throat, neck, chest area. Mm-hmm. So I went to the ENT with my mom. Um, this was, uh, I guess Monday, it was a Monday, October. I think it was the 19th. And we went in and he did like a nasal endoscopy, like did all these tests, couldn't find anything. And finally he's like getting ready to be like, I don't know. And he's like, you know what? Let me, let me palpate your neck, which is like when they like, you know, like feel all around your Mm -hmm. neck and he starts palpating and he feels something like hard in my throat. Mm -hmm. And he immediately was like, okay, let's go ahead and get you a CT scan. So they give me a CT scan in the office, thankfully just down the hall And, um, he goes in for like a neck CT and my mom is standing outside and she hears the nurse call him over and he looks at the scan and says, okay, we're going to need a fuller picture. And she said, she immediately knew Mm. that it was cancer and that I had some kind of mass because she had slowly, she said she'd realized the last few days leading up to it, she could actually see the mass protruding out of my neck. Oh, wow. So it had, I had a 10, I ended up having a 10 centimeter mass in my chest, which is about the size of a grapefruit. Big. It's very big. And it's in your throat. Yes. Well, it was, it it was right here in my chest and it was pressing on my esophagus and making its way up into my neck. So it was literally strangling me. No wonder you couldn't breathe. (laughs) No wonder I was literally waking up gasping for air most mornings. Miserable. Yeah, totally. And it was like, I wasn't getting good sleep. I actually, the week prior to that had started choking when I was eating food because literally my throat was like blocked. And so my mom, I think, had to give me Heim like two or three times that week. I remember you telling me yeah. that. Like I can remember I was eating like a piece of, you know, that good bread from Outback. I was like eating a piece of that. And I, you're like, OK, I'm going to chew this up really, really good. And so I'm like chewing it up good. And next thing I know, my mom's hitting me on the back over the kitchen sink, like trying to get it out because <laughs> I'd gotten lodged in my throat. So it was oh, just like. That's some good bread. Though. I know yeah, it's good bread. <laughs> that butter, too. The, it's so oh, good. Yeah. So um, so it was just like. 
it was a whirlwind of like trying to figure out what happened and um, trying to figure out like how long has this mass been growing? And there was also some some questions right at the beginning with the ENT of like, okay, we know it's a mass. We don't really know what that means. We don't know if it's cancerous or if it's benign. It's most likely not benign, but we got to like get the right testing. So the next day um, I meet with the ENT again. And he's like, we're pretty sure it's most likely non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or kind of thyroid cancer. But to figure that out, you've obviously got to go see an oncologist and a hematologist. So, um, the next day we, my mom and I went to, um, a thyroid doctor and he immediately was like, this is not thyroid neck cancer. I'm going to send you upstairs. You're going to see, um, the best, uh, best lymphoma. We think it's not Hodgkin's lymphoma and it's the best lymphoma doctor in Charlotte. Um, Alan Skarbnik, shout out my oncologist, best, best guy. <laughs> um, I'm a big fan and too. Um, you're sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he, he immediately put me on oxygen and said, we're pretty sure it's a subtype of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma called primary mediastinal B cell lymphoma, which primarily happens to women in mm. their twenties and thirties. Um, and it's, it manifests a huge mass right under your like thymus gland where your thymus gland makes all your B cells. And mm. so it's basically like these messed up B cells all just like gather right here in your chest and make big, these big masses. So everyone that I've talked to that has the same, had the same diagnosis as me had massive tumors. So like there's some people that had like 14 centimeter masses in their chest um, with way worse symptoms than me. And mm. so looking back, it's wild because now when I look back, even to that summer before August, I can see symptoms that I was starting to have of like extreme fatigue, mm -hmm. um, really itchy, um, which is a common sign of blood cancer, um, just different things. And I'm like, that makes sense. Why, um, you know, my body was already trying to fight it, you know, Looking back, I'm like, I felt a swollen lymph node in my armpit, but never thought anything of it. You don't think you're going to have cancer. Oh, I just thought like, I was sick. I thought yeah. and I was coughing. So I was like, I'm just getting over a cold and yeah. whatever. So, um, yeah, wild. So I um, I went through six rounds of chemotherapy, um, a really intense chemo where I was in the hospital for you had to be in the hospital for the chemo um, and five days of continuous chemo. So like hooked up to Jeez. an IV, this huge bag with all the drugs mixed together and they would run it for 24 hours. And then they would come in at the 24 hour mat mark, unhook the old bag and rehook you up. So everything I did, showering, walking, going to the bathroom, everything, I was constantly getting chemo, um, in the hospital for five days. And then every that repeated every like beginning of 21 days. So it was six cycles of that. And that where chemo wears you down too. Yeah. Tons of fatigue, um, really bad. These like mouth ulcers called mucositis where Ooh. you like can hardly swallow. You can't eat. Um, it's like having a bunch of like, you know, you get like mouth ulcers. It's like having like yeah. 10 of those at once where you just like just can't eat one anything. Is annoying, so. Yeah. so it's like, I would get that. It's terrible nausea. I mean, they were, we, it took us a couple cycles to get my, meds right for mm -hmm. the anti-nausea and so there were nights i sat up just puking all night um 
so it's just, it was not fun. You know, you lose your hair. Um, that was really hard as a almost 30 year old female, um, losing your hair is not ever something anyone wants to do. Did you ever rock just no, like all no hair? Or did you were like, I need to go get a wig or kind of, how did that play yeah. in this so, perspective for a girl? Like you said. Yeah. So the first time, <laughs> the first time I lost my hair, cause there's more to the story. <laughs> Jumping ahead. <laughs> um, but the, the first time, yeah, I, um, I was really, really self-conscious about mm. it. Um, mainly because like we shaved it down really short at the beginning. My brother-in-law shaved it for mm. me. And even once he shaved it down, like it's still falling out in patches, whatever's left yeah. and your head's super sensitive. And so luckily for me, it was winter. So I just wore beanies. I had a Carhartt beanie that was like my Got tried and true. Yeah. Tried and yeah. Sponsor, sponsor Spon- this podcast. Sponsor Al, yeah. Sponsor Brought, this podcast. podcast brought to you by Carhartt. <laughs> Carhartt beanies. Um, yeah. So they, uh, I like wore this black Carhartt beanie every single day. I never left the house without it. It got so stretched out and raggedy, but it was like my tried and true. And then um, the second time uh, I lost my hair I, it was frustrating because the way I lost it, I was actually feeling really good by the time I actually lost my hair. Uh, like I wasn't sick anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up looking sick, but I felt good. And so that was hard. And it was in the middle of the summer and I had weddings and things. So I did end up getting a wig the second time. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't wear it a ton. I wore it to a couple events where I didn't, not because I didn't want people to see my bald head, but more mm-hmm. because I didn't want the questions of... Yeah oh, are you sick? Like what's going on? Yeah. And, um, it's, it's a very weird experience to be going through something like this when you're young, because most people up until this point in my life that I knew that had had cancer were over 50. Um, and so what I very quickly learned is when you lose your hair and you look sick, there's almost this, you know, you're, you're afraid of like the looks of pity and the people that look at you and don't really know how to respond or whatever. But there's also this like very weird community of people who either have loved someone who's walked through cancer or they themselves have walked through cancer. And people are very quick to like let you know kind of like they're with you or like they're standing in solidarity with mm-hmm. you. The amount of times, especially this time, I guess I was out a lot more this time because the pandemic wasn't going on and um, it was summer and I had a lot of people um come up to me randomly and say things like, you know, are, are you, are you fighting the good fight? And it's like, well, I'm bald. So, I mean, I look sick. Yes, I am. <laughs> but, but just them being like, you know, so-and-so that I loved was mm-hmm. sick or so-and-so that I loved was sick, but they're healthy now and in remission. And I just wanted to tell you like, you're doing a great job or, you know, keep going or, um, it's just, it, it was really opened my eyes to, um, how kind and compassionate people can be when they get little glimpses into your story Um, and I think that was a big part of kind of the beginning, the first time I got sick, kind of, um, I'd never done it before. I didn't know how to be sick and how to share my story or how not to share my story. And Mm -hmm. I just kind of decided from day one that I was going to be really honest with people. Um, and that I wasn't gonna sugarcoat things. I wasn't gonna push positivity when that wasn't how I was feeling. And, but at the same time, like kind of holding intention, like, I trust the Lord and I trust his plan for my life and both things can be true, right? Like this can be really hard and really painful, but also God can be really kind and really good to me in this season. And I wanted to somehow walk through this journey 
holding both and letting people see into both. And so mm-hmm. I started sharing on my caring bridge. Um, and that kind of turned into like this weird blog for me to like therapeutically process what was happening. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was wild. Um, so I went into remission after all my treatment, um, in February of 2021. And prior to all this, I had been, um, planning a big move to the Czech Republic, um, to work, um, in full-time ministry, um, with a church there. And, um, so I get through chemo and I'm like, okay, um, my hair's starting to grow back. I'm starting to get stronger. I'm like, I went out to training in Colorado and, you know, just, started feeling like uh, life is coming back. Yeah. And, um, I remember I was out in Colorado and I was starting to try and get back into running and, um, Ooh, not me. Yeah. Out in Colorado too, with the elevation. I don't, I don't know what I was time, thinking, but. <laughs> but I was just remember one day being outside and being like, I wanted so desperately during this to like be alive and I'm alive and I'm like, just so thankful. Um, and just kind of like excited to live life and, and kind of have this, you know, people talk about getting a new lease on life. It really does feel like, wow, I survived something really hard. It just totally alters your perspective. Yeah, it does. Um, and so August of 2021, I went in for my six month PET scan. Um, and had that been good, I was going to move a month later, um, make my uh, move to Europe and found out the cancer had come back, which is like the worst thing. That's, I mean, that's aside from the initial diagnosis, that is the worst possible news you can get. Um, what was going through your head? How are you feeling? Like, and also, did you think that there was any signs of cancer before that PET scan? Yeah, I had, I had started having some symptoms and it was hard to know it happened, started happening when I was in Colorado. It was hard. So it was hard to know, like, is this altitude? Is this anxiety? Is this like, I, I don't know. There's a lot of and, different things it could be. Yeah. And what was weird actually was, um, the second time when it came back, I had started having really bad shoulder pain. And I remember it was so bad in Colorado. I was taking around the clock Advil cause it was just so, mm. and one night it got so bad. I could hardly breathe. And a friend of mine that was in the same training as me, she happened to be a um, trauma surgeon, which was very handy. I got to speak some nurses <laughs> yeah. and stuff. He knew exactly when I needed <laughs> medical personnel to be in my life. Um, she was like, I think we probably need to take you to the ER and just make sure everything's good. She kind of had knew my, my background. And so ended up at the ER in Colorado, but without all my prior scans from my hospital, they couldn't really tell me whether it had grown or whether it was back because I still had scar tissue. So all I could say was, yep, it looks like something is still there, but we don't know if it's scar tissue or if it's actively growing. Um, come to find out later that the shoulder pain I was having was because the tumor was growing so rapidly that it broke my rib. No wonder <laughs> so you were, I was having, it was like my second rib. And so that like, you know, it's like right here where your shoulder is. And so I was having such bad shoulder pain because literally my rib was broken. Um, so I came, was back in Charlotte, you know, got the news, uh, tested positive for COVID a few days later. So I'm literally like in this, I didn't test negative from COVID for like, I kept testing positive for like 16 days. And so here I am stuck at home. I know that there's cancer in my body and that it's growing rapidly. I can't start treatment at least for a month because of the COVID. And I also can't see anybody. So I'm like in my room in my parents' house 
watching movies and in probably one of the darkest places I've ever found myself of like, how, how can God allow this? Like not just once, but twice. Yeah. And you know, how am I gonna like, basically that the doctor had said, like when it comes back, like, you know, my cancer, the first time I got it, he was like, Oh, 95% cure rate. You're going to be fine. But when I came back, my survival rate dropped to like less than 30%. Damn. And so reconciling that Mm. with like, okay, I don't even, I don't even know if I'm going to survive this. I don't even know when I can start treatment. I don't feel good. Like my symptoms are getting bad. And also like, I can't even like be with people that I love and like talk about it and like receive care. That's hard. I mean, cause I've been in dark places for, you know, a lot of my life, but I didn't have cancer mm-hmm. and I can't imagine. Like, when it's like when you don't have access to community too, it's like, it's lonely. Yeah. Cause Super lonely. I mean, not every thought you have is your thought. The devil puts some thoughts in there too. And especially when you're in a dark place, you kind of start over time believing those and you're exactly. like, and it can get yeah. scary quick. Yeah, it can. And it did for me. I um, had already struggled with depression and anxiety. And to say that it was magnified during this time would be an understatement. Um, but I really did like kind of wrestle with like, if this is what my life, if this is like what's happening in my life, like I don't want to be here. Yeah. Um, and there were a lot of, a lot of times my mom had to literally crawl in the bed with me and mm. kind of just sit with me as I cried and, and said all of that and processed through it because, you know, I wasn't in danger of taking my life, I don't think, but I was in that headspace of like, if this is what I'm being offered in life, I'd rather just not be here. Yeah. This is too hard. And for me, I never had the thought, I mean, I did have the thought of, I don't want to be here and I attempted it, but you know, the Lord put people to physically stop me. Mm-hmm. Like looking back now, we're just people were in certain places to prevent me from doing stuff. Yeah. But they got to the point of the end of my story last year where my mom was like, Lord, if this is how he's going to continue living his life, just take him home. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, that's, that's for a mother. Prayer. Yeah. Because she was, um, you know, I think in the episode 23 where her and my dad came on, she was saying they were on a train just waiting for it to wreck. Just wait. Like didn't know yeah. when, but at the rate I was going and it kept happening sooner and sooner the gap in between events would get much quicker Mm -hmm. and I was living with no purpose yeah you know so she was like there's this is no way for someone to live yeah like lord just if this is how it's gonna be just take them home yeah and then you have my sister on the (laughs) other side who and I didn't know either of these until I spoke um Calvary Day School, which was on episode 50. But she was like, no, I figured one day he'd be on a stage talking and doing this stuff. So you have two <laughs> ends of the spectrum. the eternal optimist. I love so you it. had the two ends of the spectrum. But I mean, I wasn't living with purpose. Suicide yeah. was on my mind. I mean, drugs, you know, just living to get the next fix and to make it to the next day. And well, I think that's like what you said is so important and so true. Like Satan knows exactly how to get in there with things that we already tend to believe about ourselves that aren't true. And then literally just like stick the knife and turn it a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. And for me, there was a lot of that. Like, what is my purpose? Like I'm unemployed. I'm living with my parents. I'm literally like fighting a disease, but that doesn't feel, yes, that feels purposeful, but it also doesn't like, what am I if like, there's more to me than just being a cancer patient. And I think I was wrestling with a lot of the like, okay, even if I do make it through this, then what? Like, 
yeah, I think God's calling me to ministry in Prague, but like, like I can't just be like living for Prague or living for ministry mm-hmm. in Prague. Like I've got to be, there has to be something more to my desire to survive. And I think during that time, the Lord really was very, very gentle with me because he really took me by the hand and walked with me through some, some dark places and some dark thoughts and, um, really met me there and kind of gave me just this sense of, um, I know that what I'm doing doesn't make sense to you right now, but it does make sense to me. I have a plan. None of this is because I forgot about you or I was busy taking care of someone else in their life. Taking care of me. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and that's, and that's what it did yeah. feel like. Well, all my friends, all their lives are moving forward. They're getting married and having mm-hmm. babies, get, having everything that they, you know, on the surface want in life. Right. And I don't have any of that. And so as God just abandoned me, mm-hmm. um, and you know, so, so there were some deep, um, some deep rooted lies that the Lord really was, I think, fleshing out and, used, unfortunately, that time of just, I'm in the house and can't leave and am sick and maybe dying. I don't, I don't know how quick, you know, and so kind of using that time to really, um, take me down some dark roads, but while holding my hand and, and kind of allowing me a safe, a safe space to be able to, um, work through some of that, if that makes sense. Um, because he had to be rough with me. Yeah. The opposite. Like I had, I don't, I mean, we could sit here and count for a while how many wake up calls I had. Yeah. And, um, but he had to shake me because facing prison last year wasn't even, yeah. To me, that was like, this is what I'm destined for. Yeah. This is as crazy as that is to say now. Yeah. That's where I thought I belonged and at points wanted to be there. Yeah. Cause it would have been easier. Three yeah. hots in a cot and I had a schedule and a roof over my head and no responsibilities yeah. and in a way was protected from what I was doing. Yeah. But got out and then 25 days later had to, you know, die and wake up off life support to for him to be like, all right, like, are you going to get it or are you not going to get it? Yeah. Um, Which like, yes, feels intense from the Lord, but in a lot of ways is like a severe mercy. And like, I he loved that. you so much that he was like, I'm willing to take you to the end of yourself. Because there was two things I said would never happen to me. And that was going to prison and dying from an overdose and two of those you know i was knocking on both doors yeah within two months of each other yeah um because i didn't do heroin so because everyone i knew had overdosed and mm-hmm. died from heroin not cocaine yeah. and the uppers that i was doing yeah which is ignorant of me to think you thought you were safe yeah th- yeah invincible and nothing was gonna happen to yeah. king charles well and i think that <laughs> but like that like invincibility like i felt the same way like I'm 29 years old. I can't get diagnosed with cancer. Like that's a joke. Yeah. And so there is this kind of like, and maybe that's just us being like young and in our twenties and thirties. But I do think like a lot of people live that way. Like you're either like everything bad happens and you can't escape it and there's no purpose in it. Or you're on the the spectrum where you're like, nothing bad can really happen to me. So I'm going to like do what I want to do and rebel and not face any consequences until yeah. you do. Yeah. And for me, it was eight rehabs, five psych wards, yeah. uh, four arrest, and a lot of other yeah. stuff, you know, yeah. and it took, you know, last yeah. end of April waking up with land height on my left saying, yeah, you overdosed and died. And yeah, you know, I didn't have ID on me and thankfully there was a nurse there who knew me and was able to ID me. But yeah, that's what it took for me to literally ch- turn a new leaf. Mm-hmm. 
but I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Because without that, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in like a, I think looking back on the last two years, I obviously wish this wasn't my story. I wish that I didn't get cancer. I wish that it didn't come back a second and then a third time um, within kind of the months of treatment. But I'm in a weird way. You kind of become glad that it's your story. It's not the story Mm -hmm. you would have chosen. You can see um, you can see the purpose in it. You can begin to see kind of that bird's eye view of, okay, I think this is a part of something bigger than just even me and my life. And, um, you know, even when we were talking the other day, like your story looks, you know, has gone down this road and mine has gone down this road. And yet God has used both to like do something in our lives. And, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's been really wild. Like during this process of, um, I've fielded a lot of questions from people that are along the lines of like, um, you're so brave. Like what made you so brave? Or, you know, like you, like you, you did this and, and it's like, what was my other option? I was, I was about <laughs> to say, you didn't have a choice. Like I wasn't brave. I, mean, you I could just have handled survived it differently than you did maybe, but yeah, you it survived just survival. It. Yeah. And, and I think that is like, you know, not to say that you can't have courage and be brave when hard things happen, but there is so much of us as humans that like, we're just surviving You're in survival and, mode, fight, flight or freeze. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, for me and my story, that is where, um, I, I just tried to share that with people. Like it wasn't this story of, you know, Allie's bravery and courage through her cancer, cancer battle, but it was like, no, my desperation and my neediness in this battle. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I couldn't, couldn't have done it without, my sweet mom and dad totally like dropping everything in their lives to not only like take care of me, let me live with them, um, you know, help me pay bills. Like they literally, um, were so incredibly sacrificial. Same with my siblings. I mean, my siblings have put their whole lives on hold the last two years, um, in ways that like I'm still processing and, um, kind of trying to understand, how they could do that and being thankful for it. But also like the fear of like, well, people resent me because of them having to stop their lives to take care of me. Um, and so there's been a lot of stuff, I guess, like after, you know, so I, I relapsed, I ended up doing radiation for five weeks. Um, and then we had to wait two or three months before I could get scanned to see if the radiation worked. It was working for a little bit and then it stopped Mm. and the cancer came back a third time. And so, um, you know, I think this, this last round of treatment was, um, darker, much darker than the first two. Um, there was a lot more fear that it wouldn't a work and B that I wouldn't survive it because it was kind of an intense treatment. There was a lot of like brain stuff involved. Um, I ended up was hospitalized for like the first, um, 12 or 13 days after that treatment. Um, and there was a, you know, a few days in there where I was totally unconscious, couldn't talk, couldn't walk. Um, don't remember any of it, but my family watched and I think that was really hard for them. And I know for my mom, she had to really get to this place of like, kind of being willing to release me and whatever happened to me in my life. And, um, that was kind of a big factor in, this like most recent round of treatment was really getting this place of like, okay, my life, um, 
may not continue on? And how do you begin to reconcile that? And how do you begin to like, you know, even trust God that that's what's best for me? Like that's still my, like, that's still his best good for me, even if I didn't survive that treatment. Mm -hmm. And that would have still been his best good for my family and my friends who love me. And so it sounds a lot like that was what your mom was wrestling with was like, okay, Lord, if your best good for Chad is to take him as a result of these addictions. And like, I'm trusting that that's your best good for him, your best good for us, you know? And, and so there really is this big component of um, both of our stories that are kind of our families and the people who love us entrusting us to God and being like, okay, I'm releasing them. And then I'm hands off. It's like, all you like, we'll see what happens, you yeah. know? And um, for both of our stories, cause they both were unknown, mm -hmm. two different stories, but the yeah. outcome was unknown. Yeah. Mine was addiction. Yours was cancer. Yeah. And in, in a lot of ways, like, um, I, I've always kind of through this process thought of cancer. The idea of cancer is a really good, um, a really good analogy for like the ways that just like things eat you up inside and they like literally devour you from the inside out. Like sin just like totally takes over your, who you are from the inside out and your addiction was literally taking you over from the inside out. And so it's like, it was a cancer in mm -hmm. a kind of way. Yeah, like, 100%. And so even in that, it's like, I think we, um, you know, we've walked down these kind of like parallel roads. Um, and I think, yeah, it's just been, it's been kind of a wild, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure where, yeah. Um, it's just been wild. Yeah. I so. mean, it's been wild. And like you were saying earlier, community without mm -hmm. community, where would we be? And, you know, for me, I'd be dead prison or on the streets begging for money and hopefully I'd get some money. I don't know, but, um, probably we, depends on where you were standing. I mean, on the you, gotta, you, gotta know the you gotta know the corners. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, your parents allowed you to stay with them, helped you pay bills. I mean, same with my parents and rehabs. I mean, like I said, eight rehabs. Yeah. Um, it's expensive. <laughs> and they were a lot of them were private institutions. You, you pretty know? much owe them like your firstborn child at this point. <laughs> yeah. My life, like just my salary to kingdom yep. come. Um, but they and Larbeth included uh, my sister, you know, the last treatment place, Honey Lake, she even was willing to pay for it all because mm. she felt like I was ready and mm. willing and had accepted, um, which I had. And it, but it literally took me yeah. waking up, you know, from life support to just be like, what have I yeah. done? Yeah. You know, like this is where my life is at the age of 30. I had yeah. just turned 30. 25 days prior, I'd yeah. gotten released from jail like a day before my 30th birthday. Yeah. Um, we had a rough, both of us had a rough 30th birthdays. Yeah. You were getting out of prison. I was in the hospital getting chemo. <laughs> Just not good 30th birthdays. No, no. Um, we need to redo. I'm not really 30. No. That's what I've decided. I haven't turned yeah. 30 yet. So I have a good. I'm, I'm like a year and a half old since, you know, yeah. I died and we'll go <laughs> yeah, off life support. Yeah, you're a baby. <laughs> I'm a baby. Um yeah, without them, I wouldn't be here. I mean, because they've allowed me to come back and stay with them after, you yeah. know, rehabs. Um, they played, paid for flights to different treatment centers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, without them, I would not be here. Yeah. Um, and, and then obviously the Lord, you know, just having to trust his plan. Like you mm -hmm. said, the outcome was unknown, but 
we're here having this conversation. Yeah. Um, ran into you last <laughs> Friday um, at a Christmas party. Didn't I mean I've seen you at church from afar, mm-hmm. but um, just the way how everything comes in full yeah. circle. Um, because we met in middle school, kind mm-hmm. of backstory. I don't even know yep. if I mentioned that. Because yep. um, a, a friend of mine when I was at Covenant Day was your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we were acquaintances, yeah. maybe. We knew each other. Yeah, we knew about each, each other. other and of and I would like see you, you know, our schools played each other in basketball. Yep. So there was that. And but I I'm, knew a lot of kids that you went to school with. Yeah. I'd grown up with them. And when we were talking Friday and maybe this past last week, um, getting coffee, what, what, who was I? Like, what type of kid was I in middle school? Because then. See, I don't and, even know if I remember middle school. Or high school. Even, it, the was, re- it was funny because I was even like, am I supposed to call you Charles now? Like You can call me whatever you people want. People now call you Charles, but I've always called you Chad. So, so. you can call me. I introduced myself as Charles to new people, yeah. but yeah, old yeah. people call me Chad. But the reason I asked that is because you had heard bits and pieces of mm-hmm. my story. Um, You're famous. King Charles. King Charles. Everybody knows King Charles and Charlotte. Um, because you heard my story through people and you, I just, when we were talking, you were like, sweet Chad. did." <laughs> it was, I, okay. Yeah. I knew I had known a lot of, um, I had known peripherally like kind of bits and pieces and different people in my life had known you from different avenues, like gyms you worked out at or like work or whatever. And so I would kind of like hear rumblings of like, oh, yeah, this guy, Chad Height. And I'd always kind of in the back of my mind be like, oh, I know him. But like middle school, let me like hear what you have to say before I claim that I know him kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. you know, which is good at that point. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I kind of like um, it was kind of like your name would kind of pop up every few years. And so I kind of kept ta- not tabs on you, but just kind of knew what you were up to. And, um, you know, Charlotte is a, a big, small town is Very what it small. is. And so if you grew up here, especially if you went to one of the private schools, you kind of know who people are. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I had kind of heard, um, you can go ahead and say it. <laughs> yeah. I'd kind of heard through a friend of mine. Well, one of the stories that sticks out to me, like early when I moved back to Charlotte was, one of my friends knew you through the gym and I'd heard that you'd gotten into a fight with a buddy of yours at the gym. And I remember being like, huh, that seems odd. Like the Chad Hyde I, I knew was like pretty, a pretty sweet guy. Like that seems weird that he's like getting into fights and, mm. um, and had heard a little bit of like the rumblings of drugs and alcohol, but it was kind of like, you know, you just know people dabble in college and after. So at that time it didn't seem like, Oh, he's an a, addict. Correct. It was like, Oh, he's probably just like, Hasn't quite outgrown the fraternity mindset. Like he hasn't quite matured. And, um, and then I started hearing some more rumblings and then I got to know your sister. I was going to say, cause what, two years ago? Yeah. I guess around. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I got to know Laura Beth before I was diagnosed, you know, we were acquaintances. And they put you in trauma circle (laughs) at a women's retreat. No, we were put into, we were, we both went to the women's retreat at my church and, um. Hope community shout out. I I do think they kind of intentionally did this. They put me, I was in the middle of radiation. So clearly was like still in treatment. I just relapsed. There was a lot going on. Um, they put me and my best friend, Jane and Laura Beth and our friend, Christy, all in a small group together. And it was kind of like, we all started sharing our stories and we were like, oh, we're all like, 
this is a trauma group. Like they all put us together because we've all experienced trauma. So our group text is actually called Trauma Inc. That's like what we. It's a severe trauma too. <laughs> well, it was like we knew that Laura Beth had had some trauma from PTSD. her relationship with you, and obviously I was walking through something hard, and my best friend was you know navigating how to walk with me through that, and then um, our other friend in the group who actually was leading the group um, had lost her mom to cancer, and so there was just a lot of like it felt like a really really safe place to share what was really hard, and it was it was nice because. Our stories weren't all exactly the same, but we all could connect and identify with it. And so after the retreat, we were like, this was so good. And so we just really enjoyed each other and have kept hanging out. And so I've gotten to know Laura Beth a lot better through that. And um, yeah, it's just so, so just kind of hearing, you know, and of course I would see you at Hope kind of in between treatments. And then we followed each other on Instagram. So I would see like, oh, Chad's off to memphis or wherever and he'd like you post a picture at the airport or whatever and i'd be like i i remember seeing that and being like did he get a job or like what's he moving to memphis for and then like hearing through the grapevine like no he's headed to rehab and and just being like like sad like i was sad that that was the reality but mm-hmm. i also at that by then was very aware like this isn't just him dabbling like there's some issues there's some stuff going on here and i don't remember what i kind of knew from like social media or whatever, but, um, I don't remember how much you were sharing at that point of like mental health stuff, but I, I guess it was obvious to me that clearly if there's like addiction, there's also probably like some mental health stuff involved. There's also probably like just hard things. Like suicide was always on my mind. Um, because it started in 2012. I mean, prior was school covenant day is not an easy school. And, you know, I always compared myself as I've talked a lot about on previous episodes, compared myself, um, to the people that we grew up with, mm-hmm. um, classmates, because academics didn't come easily to me. So, and that's kind of the vibe in Charlotte, correct? Like, kind of performance and, oriented. And on the, if you put me on the basketball court, I can excel there. Yeah. Um, but classroom, I didn't, and so that was the start of struggles for me. And then college, being in a fraternity, um, it was the social mm-hmm. aspect of that. Yeah. And then, um. A close family friend, um, their son died, um, David Shannon, who um, his father, Hugh Shannon, came on and shared his story Mm -hmm. and their family's story um, in previous episode. But that was um, kind of a turning point uh, because I didn't know how to deal with death because I had had my grandfather die um, in 03 from actually non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, Mm -hmm. which I shared with you when (laughs) we reconnected last Friday. It's Um, not funny. No, it's not. But the way... Yeah. It was presented was <laughs> at the time, but it's, yeah, it's not funny. Um, and so that was the first like tragic death and didn't know how to deal with that. And so, um, and then just comparing myself to others kind of just went into a dark place yeah. and then graduated a, you know, a semester later and that continued and outside of college and then just getting fired from jobs, um, getting broken up with and it was just mm-hmm. like failure after failure yeah. and i'd already been comparing myself with others as i'm a failure because i'm studying twice as long as them three yeah. times as long and i'm still getting a cd or f and yeah. they're getting an a for studying for 10 minutes yeah and and then stuff started happening and um and then it wasn't social and um, then i started comparing myself to the people in the treatment centers the rooms that i was in 
well, my story's not as bad as mm-hmm. theirs. So mm-hmm. I was shooting myself in the foot, yeah. as I said before. And, you know, it was just like, well, I'm just a disappointment to everybody yeah. now. So let's just go ahead and end my life. And yeah. that's kind of how I was living. Um, and it got to the point where, like, suicide was even tough. And so I've talked about it previously. But there was one time where I tried to get someone to shoot me mm-hmm. um, in an altercation two times. Yeah. And, and thankfully, he did not. Um, for you and for him. For both. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, so, yeah. And um, well, and something we talked tough. about even like this past week, kind of going back to like talking about your parents and Lara Beth, we talked a little bit about like just how I think when we're in it, you don't think about how much you're you're like, oh, this is happening to me. It's my struggle. It's my addiction. It's my whatever. But you don't think about how much your what you're experiencing is also affecting the people around you and the people who love you. And I think, you know, when we're in college, you're like kind of learning how there's a lot of things that like kind of fall into place when you're after high school, whether you go to college or not, you're kind of like learning how to deal with disappointment. You're learning how to deal with what do you do when life starts not to look exactly how you kind of hoped? And then how do you like cope with that? Like you're either, you know, cope with it well, or Mm -hmm. you don't. And if you don't, it's, you know, things like drugs, alcohol, looking to people for affirmation instead of going to the right places for it or whatever. And so, you know, I think for both of us, there's probably this for everybody, I think in Mm -hmm. that those years after high school, you're trying to figure out who you are. And then you're trying to figure out how do I live life? How do I deal with these things that are hard in a healthy way or an unhealthy way? And then that really kind of sets the stage for a lot of who you become as an adult. And I think then as you're going through stuff, it's like you don't realize how much your own, I don't know if I can cuss on here, but your own shit impacts the people around you. It's a ripple effect. Yeah. And so like your mom and dad, like, you know, even being in that group with Laura Beth, it was like she was, it wasn't her own trauma. It was trauma from my trauma, my story, but I caused her to have her own trauma. And there, it's not like there was, you know, resentment, but it was just this, like how the ripple effect goes so far, you know, like my story wasn't just me getting sick and going through cancer, but people that I love now have medical PTSD because of it. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if, if someone else they love gets cancer, like that's going to really impact them even more because they've already walked through with me. So just, I think there's a lot of, you know, the two parts to it. I think there's a lot of, you're trying to figure out how, how you are. You're trying to figure out who you are, how you are, and then how does that impact other people and the good and the bad. Right. And so I think that's something that, you know, it's been really cool to see the last year with this and the last, you know, however long it's been. October 12th, last year. year. So a year, a year, year and a couple months. You should have thrown podcast a birthday. Come on. We, We did a episode 49, I think. No, 47. We did a one year anniversary. Okay. I can't remember the episode okay. number where Casey and I talked kind of about the growth of us each yeah. individually, the podcast and just that's something to ce- like celebrate. Like, I mean, I was still figuring out who I was and I still am. But <laughs> yeah. over this, you know, last year, I mean, at Lar- so Larbeth, they had their Christmas party um, and this year I got invited last year. <laughs> I did not get invited. How long do you think you're going to hold that over her head for? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just this forever. One. I mean, but rightfully so. Yeah. Um, I would have invited myself just to be on the safe <laughs> side. Um, because 
you know, it would come in waves. Yeah. I mean, so I didn't get invited last year and I found that out this year. But um, how long have you been doing this party, Laura Beth? Oh, you know, <laughs> yeah. just a couple of years. Oh, this is my first time. <laughs> um, but no, I, you know, I mean, a lot of things when it my story first started, like the struggle started, you know, something would happen and then it'd be a while before the next thing happened. But then as it got or continued, the the events got a lot shorter to where last year it was a month, not even Mm -hmm. a month before um, the, you know, life support happened. So it got very quick, a lot shorter. Um, But yeah, I mean, rightfully so, you know, better safe than sorry. (laughs) I think this year she was like. He'd be a great bouncer. You know? That's what, yeah. Like, and, and it's cool to see how that's like shifted so much she, from like, I'm out. worried about you to like, I trust you to actually protect other people, which, um, um which, you know, yeah, that's cool. Uh, it is. And we have a good relationship now. Um, you know, I've always wanted to be a brother, which I am, <laughs> but I wanted to have that brother sister relationship yeah. love. And it used to be, she hates me because she had to set up boundaries. And that's an episode we could talk about, you mm-hmm. know, boundaries, because boundaries are something that is needed to talk about it. I've asked. Yeah. She said when she wants to come on, she Laura will. Beth, come on, you got to do it. <laughs> um, but boundaries and yeah. she needed to protect herself because the family didn't know what calls they were going to yeah. get. Was it jail? Was it hospital? Yeah. Was well, I think that's a really important part, too, of like. You're, you felt like she hated you, but she was like, I actually love you so much that I can't continue our relationship the way it is. It has to change. And I'm able to see that now, but when I was in it, I thought she hated me and that made me resent her. Yeah. But then on the other side of my story, I was like, wow, you love me that much to where you literally couldn't have a relationship with me. Like it had to be from afar. Yeah. And you didn't want me associate associating with your friends because you didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. You know, that's some tough love. And yeah. She had to do tough love. My parents, um, you know, their story is different than hers. Um, you know, they were always there for me and, you know, accepted those calls and, um, but it wasn't easy. A lot of PTSD. And then towards the end, you know, they had to kind of, uh, quit communicating and you know i didn't want to communicate with them because i wanted to live my life i wanted to and i'm just thankful to still be here and be able to share this story and hopefully it'll help you know someone um and then having guests on to share their stories it'll be able to help someone who's going through something that a guest has yeah um well i think that's you know i think you've talked you i know you've talked about this because i've heard you but just the idea of not being alone in it um because everyone thinks you're alone when you're in it, but you're not. Someone else is going through it, but everyone's hiding it, trying to live that highlight reel yeah. like on social media. Yeah. Um, you know. Like and that I, was something that I actually found really helpful when I was in treatment. There's this um, Instagram account that I found for like young adult cancer patients. So typically like most support groups and stuff are going to be geared towards like over 50 kind of patients. And so I found this Instagram that's like a satirical look at cancer, but also like kind of this weird social media support group kind of anonymously. Um, it's called the cancer patient and it's really funny. There's lots of really, um, great memes, but also people like post stuff and then kind of like have these conversations via the stories. Mm -hmm. Um, and I found it so helpful because when I was first diagnosed and then especially like as it kept happening, 
um, and it kept coming back. It was like, I felt as much as my family wanted to understand and as much as they tried and really, um, wanted to know what it felt like and tried to, you know, empathize, they couldn't, it, they'd never lived it. And, um, I found it so helpful to connect with people and not just through this one Instagram account, but also just in DMS with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I've met several people that I've connected with really well on social media that, um, either had the same diagnosis or just were young when they got diagnosed with a cancer. Um, some of them were still in treatment. Some of them were in remission. Um, but just to connect with people who had lived some of what I had lived and could say like, yeah, I know how that feels or yeah, that happened to me too. And you don't realize until you're in something like our stories, how lonely it is. And you just start to feel like, yeah, all these people love me and I have this great community, but like no one really gets what this feels like. Mm -hmm. And honestly, a lot of that more has been post-cancer, like in both of my seasons of remission, kind of dealing with the aftermath of it, of no one gets what it's like to feel like your whole life is kind of uprooted. And then all of a sudden you're healthy again, but you're not the same person. And so finding these people on social media was really helpful for me to kind of process in a way that was like almost watching what happened to me, but like through someone else, like the perspective of watching someone else's story unfold, but also just to have someone be like, yeah, I know what that's like. And so I think it's so great what you're able to do with having guests on this podcast, because it is so important for someone to know that, gosh, this like really random, unique part of my story. Yes, it is unique. And it like, maybe isn't exactly the same as someone else's, but someone else can understand how Mm -hmm. I might be feeling or how recovery might be or how hard it is to stay sober or, you know, how hard it is to be alive after cancer. Um, you know, things that maybe aren't talked about as much. And so, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't listened to every single episode, but the episodes I have listened (laughs) to have been just really cool to kind of hear, gosh, that's not my story, but I know people like that. And I know people that have walked that. And that is so helpful for someone to hear. And just even how like different people's stories who are so different that you've never walked, you can still be encouraged by. Right. And like find these nuggets of um, encouragement and truth. And I don't know. That's cool. Yeah. It's a neat thing that you're what you're doing. Yeah. Um, You know, that's one thing I found purpose in um, because, I mean, I live that dark you know, 10 years and someone is living it right now. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I don't know what it's like to live with cancer, to be in remission. You know, and people don't know what it's like to go through my 10 years and mm-hmm. now live afterwards. And, you know, a lot of people say, are you worried about relapse and, and all this stuff? You know I mean? it. Yeah, I am, but it's not, it's not going to happen today. Yeah. You know, is it going to happen tomorrow? I pray it doesn't, but you know, I don't think it ever will, but you don't ever say, you know, never. Um, but that's one thing, you know, just sharing my story, like at Auburn, um, and then the Calvary day, you know, that one wasn't as raw and real because it was seventh through 12th grade and at a Christian, quite get into all the details. (laughs) And it was a Christian private school. Um, but at Auburn university, um, you know, it was, I was down there for two, three days. And I mean, I was very, very raw and real and open because yeah. um, it's college kids. And I wanted to, 
not scare them straight, but just be like, you have a choice. Yeah. You know, where this you is the reality. Do? Yeah. Here's the reality. You know, I was in a private school, Christian, you know, I was in a fraternity. I, you know, I struggled with this, this, that, you know, and then after school, here's kind of the, the cycle that I went down. Mm-hmm. And are you going to allow that to be you or are you going to, you know, kind of reel it in? Because um, reality is some of y'all will be dead in five, 10 years. Hopefully that's not true, but yeah. statistically it is. And yeah. just, you know, shooting it straight with them. And that was one thing that, you know, I received was just from them was just like, thank you for being so raw and real and not yeah. preaching to us. Yeah. Because I've been where they're at. Yeah. And it's not easy. Yeah. Just like someone who has cancer or is in remission. It's not easy, but yeah. you know what that's like and you can talk to them. Yeah. And be open, raw and real and share stuff with them that they haven't experienced yet or that they're struggling with. Yeah. Um, And so that's part of this. Just everyone's got something. Yeah. Everyone's had something. Everyone will have something. Yeah. And you're not alone. Yeah. Someone else out there's got what you're struggling with. They've either struggled with it or they're going through it or they're in a different season. But just hearing that can allow someone to be like, okay. Someone else has gotten through it. Here's yeah. how they got through it. So that, you know. Yeah. Just if someone can hear someone's story. They and, survived it. Yeah. They made it through. Yeah. Well, and even, um, wait, there was something you just said that I was going to say. Um, the, like, yeah, the, not everyone's story is exactly the same, but um, I've totally gotten blank now on what I was going to say. But for someone to like be able to look back and see, okay, this wasn't exactly my story but this was how they survived it. And I can look down the road and hope for that and kind of orient myself towards that mm-hmm. hope of like, okay, this is what life could look like mm-hmm. on the other side. Um, Cause I never thought my life would look like this. I literally thought my life was just going to be in and out of rehabs and jail and eventually just prison and yeah. eventually death, Yeah, which I will die eventually. But I just thought it, I wasn't going to live a long life. Yeah. I just didn't know when it was going to end. Yeah. And a lot of people and myself included thought it would be last year. Yeah. But God has plans and yeah. his purpose for my life isn't done. It's not done with yours. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not wasting that time. Whereas before I was wasting it. Um, and like you said earlier, like everybody, everybody is going to go through something at some point, right? Like for us, we <laughs> are going through, have gone through some of hopefully the hardest yeah. <laughs> on the earlier side, but like right. not everybody experiences it this early. Some people mm-hmm. won't experience it till they're in their eighties or their fifties or whatever. And so, you know, I have friends who are like, gosh, I, I haven't had any, <laughs> this is actually me literally. Okay. Uh, eight weeks, no, not even eight weeks, four weeks before I got diagnosed, I was sitting with a mentor and I said, you know, we were talking about the Lord and, um, how he like meets us and, and really hard places. And I was like, you know, I just, I, I want to be able to connect with people. And I feel like sometimes I haven't had like something really, really hard in my life. And so I'm sometimes struggle with like, will God really be able to use me with people who have walked through really hard things four weeks later, get a cancer diagnosis. So it's like, you know, I didn't obviously choose that, but you know, it, everybody is going to have hard things. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when. And so I think that's the thing of like, when hard things happen, um, because they're inevitable because life is hard and, you know, there's a lot of brokenness and messiness in this world. And, um, 
it's not what it was designed for. And so, you know, we're going to experience the effects of that, the side of heaven. And so how do you navigate that? And how do you let people in and how do you tell your story? And it's like, all of these things are like all a part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're all different facets of walking through her things. You have to have community. You have to have people that are willing to tell their story. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's all of these things. And, and as I've said before, community, you can have good community and bad community too. Mm -hmm. Um, because who you surround yourself with is kind of who you become. Yeah. Um, but so we both go to Hope Community Church. Um, and one reason, a big reason that I go there, well, Laura Beth, my sister, mm-hmm. but, um, and I think I've mentioned this before, but um, so in April of, I think it was 2019, um, when I was at Davidson Behavioral Health, um, gotten sent there. Um, so I got in. So I got kicked out of every rehab, um, <laughs> except last the two last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, and I kind of knew the system and knew how to kind of cheat it when I was about. Which something. that right there tells you you like weren't ready correct, for 100%. it. Like you were ready for it when I was. You were ready to do it. Correct. Yeah. Put um, in the work and yeah. all the things. Yep. Um, it was kind of like camp, which is weird to say because it's not <laughs> camp. But I mean, that's kind of how I viewed it. You know, yeah. it was, I get to meet new people and whatever, but at Davidson behavioral health and I had been in and out of church at hope, as you said, mm-hmm. you'd see me kind of spotty. <laughs> um, but, and I didn't know Mark. Well, I knew him from the gym, just his mm-hmm. face. And he goes to the early classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not there unless I had been up all night <laughs> oh and would go to the gym, um, which <laughs> is not healthy, <laughs> but he came to Davidson behavioral health to visit me. Yeah. And I was just like, Wow. Like you barely know me. Yeah. Like, like not even really your pastor yet. No, not yeah. at all. Like why, what, you mm-hmm. know, why are you here? Yeah. Like not expecting you <laughs> at all, but that just meant so much to me yeah. that he barely knew me. Like, yeah. And it just, yeah, it meant a lot that he would come up there, um, you know, drive 40 minutes to mm-hmm. go to a, a psych ward to love on someone who needed some love that he barely knew. Yeah. And that just meant a lot because, I mean, the Cotswold campus is literally two minutes down the street. Um, but South End is yeah. where I'm going yeah. because just you've been just cared spoke, for. Yeah. And yeah. I feel I mean, they're all the campuses are great, but I just know how Mark mm-hmm. is. And that just it meant a lot to yeah. me. Um, I sat on his couch Friday morning and we <laughs> had a little counseling session. It was great. And I cried and he's he's full of lots of wisdom and um yeah, just, I think that's, that's the the cool thing about hope is there's very much this, um, it's very much not the culture of look like you've got everything together and suck it up and be perfect. It's very like, yeah, you're messy. Of course you're messy. Like we're all messy and let's like be real with each other about mm-hmm. it and also talk about how Jesus meets us there. Um, and I think, uh, even today, Mark's sermon was on humility and he used a lot of personal examples. And it was like really cool to hear a pastor up front be like, yeah, I have struggled with arrogance. Let me tell you how and like to talk about it, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that has created a culture of freedom to, you know, have different people share from up front. Um, like I think you said, um, Will Moody, Will and Moody then, had shared up front. Um, Stowe has shared his yep. his testimony at, at different points. Elliot Hall, I don't think he shared at church, but he's been a guest on the show yeah. and shared about his addiction and struggles. But that's one thing I love about Hope. Um, just everyone's it's 
you can come as you are. Yeah. And that's something I struggled with why I didn't really go to church. You know, I believed, but I didn't believe that I would be accepted because of how messy my story was and currently was at the time. But now that I'm through it, I love sharing my story, not to be arrogant or boast about it, but just be like, this is how messy my life was. And here's how God, you know, has used my story and just the redemptive part of it. Mm -hmm. Like, because I don't deserve to be here. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be here, but I am. And I think that's important, too, because sometimes we get so focused on like, oh, it's okay to be messy that we almost like forget that that's not the goal. Like the goal isn't just to be like, okay with our messiness. The goal is to look to Jesus to um, like redeem us and make us whole and um, heal our messiness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that won't be fully done this side of heaven until we're with him. But like, that's the goal is not that we would just like be like, yep, I'm messy. I'm just going to sit in it and be honest about it. It's like, that's you're halfway there. That's half of it. But you got to go the full the full way, which only the Holy Spirit can do. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what's so cool about your stories. It literally is like there is nothing that Chad could have done to save Chad. No, not at all. And (laughs) I killed myself. Nobody did it. Nobody could have done it for you. You couldn't have done it. It was a act of the Holy Spirit Uh coming in and and making you new. And and from someone who has known you over the years, even peripherally, I mean, it is wild how new you seem like God has redeemed you. God has changed your story and not that who you were isn't a part of who you are. It is. It's a ton of who you are, but it's not all that you are. And it's made me who I am today because without that, I wouldn't be the man that's sitting right here. And God's not done either. That's the cool thing, right? Like your story's not done. Mine's not done. God's still working and continuing to like make us more like him, which is cool. The real quick, I don't know how long this episode has been going, but it's it's felt like it's been very short. Yeah. But real quick, talk about Prague. Yeah. Because that's yeah. coming up. Yeah. Um, what are you going to be doing there? What is the purpose? Um, just share yeah. about that just for a little bit. So um, I'm going with an organization called Surge, formerly World Harvest Missions. Um, and I'm going to be working with a church plant in Prague that was um, planted about 16, 17 years ago out of Uptown church here in Charlotte. Um, and very much a heart for, um, international, the international community in Prague and the Czech community in Prague. Um, they've since planted another church in Prague. So there's two churches there. Um, I'll be working with, uh, faith community and, um, I really just, uh, it's kind of crazy how it all came together and, um, some good friends of ours, uh, of my family's Phil and Shana Davis, um, moved there in gosh, like 2004, maybe to plant this church. And, um, I went when I was 16 and then again, 18, and I just always kind of felt this pull to the city and the culture and the church. And, um, in 2020, before I got sick, I was kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I was asking the Lord, like, okay, I, you know, I think maybe you're calling me into full-time ministry, but I'm not really sure what that would look like. And can you help me kind of figure that out? And, um, got in touch with Phil and Shanna and things just kind of fell into place. And what I, I even, especially after the last two years, what I really feel like God is kind of calling me to in Prague is just to walk with people who are in their twenties and thirties, especially, but really anywhere in life and walk with people as they're like, Hey, life is hard. 
And how do I follow Jesus in the midst of life being really hard? And how do I navigate like working and having relationships and, um, you know, conflict with family and friends or, you know, all of that. And so, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm raising support right now. Um, the plan is to, uh, have one more scan the week after Christmas. Um, and once that is good, which I believe it will be, um, my doctor will release me and I'll move to Prague in January, which is a little over two years after my first kind of like, um, basically getting hired by the organization that I'm going with, um, Surge. And it's wild because initially I was going to go in September, 2021, which was, you know, just about a year and the normal timeline for people to get hired to when they actually have like raised support and are ready to go is about two years. So by the time I get there, it will only have been a little over two years, even with cancer. So it's pretty cool to see how the Lord has just provided, um, people to come alongside me and really, I mean, not just carry me through cancer, but also like carry me to Prague, like pray me to Prague. Um, Mm -hmm. people that really believe in what God is up to, um, in central Europe. Um, Prague is one of the most atheistic cities in Europe. Um, there's a lot of darkness there and there's also just a lot of, um, young people in the city that are trying to figure out like how to live life. And, um, I think, you know, God wants to, um, bring hope and, um, restoration and he wants to bring his kingdom there. So you'll be there five years is the five years is the initial. Yeah. I would love to be there. Um, long-term, um, that's, so that that's, is long-term I'm going, I'm going very, I'm going very open-handedly right. yeah. into it. Um, but the initial is five years. Five years. So, um, yeah, I'm excited and, um, hopeful to join my team by the end of next month, which is wild. That's crazy. Yeah. It's Sitting wild. here in a month from now, you'll be in Prague. Hopefully. Yeah. Lord willing. Yeah. So maybe we can take the rabbit hole show over to Prague. Yeah. Let's take it international. I want to. Okay. Um, We'll do it. So how can people support you, whether it's, you know, just letters, prayer, um, funds? Yeah. How can people, I mean, people can reach out to me and I can get them in touch, but is there another way? So um, I, yeah, I, um, emailing me is, is, is best, um, emailing me and setting up a time to kind of share a little bit more about what, um, I believe God's kind of calling me to be a part of in Prague. Um, but, uh, there's also, you can go to Serge's website. Um, it's just surge.org, um, and find me under, um, if you go to missionaries and then search under, um, Czech Republic, you'll see me, um, with my pre-cancer long hair, (laughs) um, which is fun. Um, yeah. And, but yeah, I'd love to, to reach out to people, um, What's your personally, email? if they're so interested. If they wanna... It is a, it is a L L I E D Y A R at gmail.com. Allie so, Dyer at gmail.com. Yep, that's it. Um, so yeah, cool. even, and, and I send out, um, like monthly support emails, um, to people that want to, um, that are either want to be a part of what God's doing financially, or just want to be able to pray and kind of keep up, um, and be in the know about what God's doing in Prague. So, yeah. I think a lot yeah. of people will want to know and, you know, help with funds and prayer and just, um, cause the power of prayer does a lot. Um, cause we're, I know with me personally, we're sitting in these seats because of the power of prayer. <laughs> Lord knows it. Yeah. And it doesn't happen overnight. You know, for me, it took several years and 
for you, it's taken cancer three times. Um, you know, just because you pray, someone prays doesn't mean it's going to happen the way that person or you want it to. Um, it's the Lord's plan and purpose, but he hears your, your prayers. Um, mm-hmm. but he knows what's best, as you said earlier. Um, Real quick, what advice do you have just for listeners? I always ask. Oh, yeah. So what advice? You that- even This is okay. You even told me last week you're going to ask me this and I still am caught off guard. Um, what, so what pops in your head? What advice pops in your head that just has gotten you through the cancer and just some tough times? Um, whether your dad, mom have given it to you, yeah. something you heard at Charlotte Christian, I don't know, or a doctor <laughs> told you um, or, or from your Instagram cancer page. Yeah, I, w- I would say... A- maybe not like a piece of advice, but, um, I would, I would just say something that I have learned through the last two years is, um, and honestly really coming off of reflecting off of Mark's sermon today at hope, um, really reflecting on just how important it is to let people into our neediness. And, um, I don't think culturally as Americans, we do a very good job of, um, letting people, people know how we need help and asking for help. Um, I know personally, that's not something I do very well. I love to be the one to help people, but I am usually embarrassed to ask for help or even sometimes ashamed. Um, and that is one thing through this process I found really hard, but was forced to do over and over again was to ask for help. Um, and even I, even when I would ask for help, I would still find myself apologizing and being like, oh, I'm sorry that I'm asking this of you, or I'm sorry that I need this. Um, but what I have learned is people are thrilled when they're asked to help and people really love being let into your neediness. Um, and actually Mark Upton talked a lot today about how that, um, builds intimacy and relationships. And so if, You know, that is something that um, even in my friendships um, and my relationship with my family, just looking for ways to let them in and um, let them see my neediness, Um, but also like trying to figure out how to do that with the Lord um, and to not be embarrassed by it um, and to really let people because people people want to help. People want to be needed. People want to give their time and their resources and, um, you know, whatever they have to offer. And so I think we're missing out on really wonderful community and really wonderful, you know, relationships when we're too scared to ask or too prideful to ask. So I agree with that hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You can't do life by yourself. Nope. And when you can be vulnerable and ask for help, you know, two things happen, you know, that person feels wanted and needed. Mm-hmm. And appreciative that you trust them enough to mm-hmm. come to them. Then also you're receiving help yeah. by asking them. Yeah. I've seen that, you know, cause I used to be one that <laughs> I didn't need help. I didn't need help at all mm-hmm. when I truly needed help, Yeah, but I didn't want it. Yeah. So that is advice that I can take away from you yeah. as well. Is that one that I'm still working on? Yeah. Same. <laughs> but thanks for having me on the show Thank and, you. and for, asking good questions about my story yeah thank you for being open and vulnerable and sharing your story um, it's been an honor to reconnect with you um thankfully on you know when i'm when we're <laughs> on both, the other end <laughs> on the other end for both of us um, probably wouldn't have been good for either one of us to have connected like a year or two ago <laughs> no <laughs> we both were in dark places would have just egged each other on in our shit show of our situations <laughs> yeah
You could have been a pen pal when I was locked up, maybe. <laughs> oh, pen pals man. for life. Yeah, for real. Um, it's been an honor, and I'm just glad to have met you, I don't know, 20-some years ago and be sitting we're here. We're not that old. Come on, Charles. No, we're not. Um, I mean, but it might have been, I think, 20 years ago. Um, okay, maybe 15, but still. Yeah. Um, and now we're just sitting here and just to see what the Lord has done. It's, it's been an honor. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, thank you all for tuning in this week to the rabbit hole show. Um, we have some slots available if anyone wants to come on and share their story. Um, or if you have any just questions or want to grab coffee, I'm still on the job hunt. So I have a lot of time. So would love to just sit down, talk, share more of my story and hear your story. Um, or if you have any comments or questions just feel free to shoot us an email the rabbit hole show 21 at gmail.com and um, then subscribe and follow on whatever platform you listen and then something that we didn't talk about is an intro kind of song um just gave it tug funny um so if you have any ideas people have asked that we get one and I don't know what that should be. So if you have any recommendations, let us know. Um, but thank y'all. Love y'all. Um, Merry Christmas. It's coming up in three days when this airs. So hope everyone just has a wonderful time with their family. I know it can be a tough time, um, you know, with loved ones being missed, but that's kind of all year long. It's not just the holidays, but that is tough. Um, so, um, just know you're loved and I'm here for you if you need anything, but love y'all and stay tuned for next week's episode. Thanks.